1939, the uh, British government led a motivational poster campaign in preparation for World War II. Around 2.5 million copies of a poster were printed in hopes of boosting the morale among British citizens as war loomed. But those posters never made it uh, to posting. The movement was soon forgotten and out of sight, out of mind, until about 15 of those posters showed up on an episode recently of the Antiques Roadshow television series. And uh, from that moment, the movement went viral. What am I talking about? Those posters that we've all seen that say, keep calm and carry on, right? You've seen various versions of that, and of course, they've been redone, keep calm and fill in the blank. What's your favorite of those uh, posters? Keep calm and got one that you, what's that? Keep calm and don't panic. Thank you, Bill. That's a good one. Anybody else got one on the back of your car or maybe seen one? It's like, that's clever. Somebody over here, maybe? I've got a, I've got a few uh, that I found on the internet up here. We'll put them up here. Keep calm and work hard, okay? it's one way to think about it. Keep calm, I'm an engineer. I don't know how much that comforts you. Keep calm. I don't know if we can show this one in church, but I went ahead and put it up there. Keep calm and drink wine um, in moderation, right? Keep calm and hakuna matata. Who, who likes that one? I think there's a frozen theme one here. Keep calm. Yeah. Keep calm and let it go. You know, sometimes adults, we just need to sing that song to ourselves, right? Keep calm and let it go. Well, uh, for the past three weeks, we've been looking at this topic of anxiety, anxiety and worry. And we've opened up Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians chapter four. And we've been wrestling with this idea that uh, plagues us so much. The United States has been called the United States of anxiety. Here we are in uh, one of the most prosperous times and one of the most powerful nations with so much comfort and so much at our fingertips and so much resources, and yet we are wound up with worry, many times uh, plagued by anxiety. Anxiety is everywhere and too often all on us and all in us. I was reading uh, a guy that I respect, that I, that I follow. Um, let me just read you what he says um, here. Scott Saul says, My most common prayer request these days is that God would give me consistent, uninterrupted sleep. Because in the middle of almost every night, I lie awake for two to four hours wrestling. I wrestle with preoccupation, with self-doubt, with the dissatisfaction of unmet expectations and unrealized goals and dreams, with pressure that I put on myself or that I fear others will put on me, with the burdens of the day behind and the day ahead of me, and with the sense that my work is never going to be satisfactory or complete. Those are not words of someone that's lost and not following Christ or Someone uh, without the hope that we have, those are actually words of a prominent pastor named Scott Sauls that I follow regularly, that I read and, and respect. 
And yet he lies awake for hours at night, wrestling, anxious with his calling. That's not just uh, people uh, today, but it's happened. It's an ancient problem. And if you look in the Apostle Paul's life, the one whose words we've been reading, if you look flip with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, um, 2 Corinthians, I think I said 1 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's giving uh, the Corinthians a bit of his testimony. And man, if you think you have some things uh, to worry about, to be anxious about, if uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse uh, 24, he just kind of gives us his resume, what's been going on recently. And he says this, the apostle Paul, the one telling us not to worry, he writes, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes. Minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and day. Adrift at sea, he goes on to talk about uh, how people were after him. He was in danger from robbers, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, in toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst. All these things he's, missing, he's mentioning, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then, verse 28, he throws this in. He says, and apart from the other things... All that other stuff, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's saying, I'm wrestling with anxiety. And even in the passage, uh, the book that we've been looking at for these three weeks and uh, finalizing it today in Philippians, if you look back at chapter 2, he's told the Philippians, I'm going to send this guy named Epaphroditus to you. And I want him to spend some time with you. I want him to minister to you, and, and I want to hear how you're doing after he visits you. And he says, I know you've been concerned about Epaphroditus. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 27. He says, Epaphroditus, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I am more... I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and get this, and that I may be less anxious. So Paul's not immune to anxiety or worry. He's admitted it here in Philippians chapter 2. He's said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and yet he is telling us in Philippians chapter 4, this should not be something that plagues us and consumes us. All of us will worry, all of us will feel anxiety, but we do not have to be imprisoned by it. And yet, many of us struggle with it. And I asked one of our friends or brother in Christ, Les, to come up here, Les Arnold, to come up here and share a little bit briefly. I told him briefly. He's a professor, so to share just briefly a little bit of his story uh, that maybe you can identify and maybe that you need today. Today's the day you need to uh, come forward later or go backward later in the service and ask for prayer or uh, make a confession or whatever. But Les, um, tell us a little bit about your story. Fair enough. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Les Arnold. I am uh, uh, have been a member of this church with my family for probably the past decade or so. So we've been around a while. Uh, but uh, Ross wanted me to come up here and uh, talk about anxiety. Uh, I, I can tell you that anxiety is something uh, that I have suffered with uh, since, practically since I was born. 
uh, ever since I was just a little kid, right, uh, I was constantly uh, worried. I know if you ask my mother, uh, she will tell you that I was a perfect little angel all the time. I know some of you might find that a little hard to believe. Uh, but it wasn't because I was trying to be good, because I wanted to do well. It was because I was constantly uh, afraid in this crippling fear of doing something wrong, of uh, screwing something up. Because I just knew that if I did something wrong, it would be, you know, the entire world would come crashing down around me. Now, is that true? No. But I, I just absolutely knew it, right? And uh, this, was, this was daily life until one day when I was about eight years old, um, my uh, dad uh, was in a uh, car accident. Uh, unfortunately, he was not in a car at the time, so it was uh, pretty bad for him. Uh, we got this phone call from uh, the hospital saying that dad was in the hospital. And uh, he was actually in the hospital off and on for the uh, majority of his life after that. Uh, so now uh, here I am, this little kid who's constantly anxious anyway. And now I have to be strong and stoic and, you know, keep the family together and that type of thing, right? I mean, uh, we are talking about a uh, little kid who couldn't go to uh, birthday parties or spend the night over at a friend's house because of uh, being too worried about messing something up. And now, you know, if I mess something up, it's not just my world that collapses, you know, the family suffers too. That is a lot. That happened when I was eight years old, and that was a lot to put on an eight-year-old kid. Heck, that's a lot to put on an adult. Uh, and I wouldn't suggest it, but I, uh, I lived with it. I grew up, or as grown up as I ever actually got, so thank you, Jason. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'd love to say things got better. They didn't. Uh, grade school was bad. Hi, uh, high school, college was worse. Okay? I mean... The, uh, I, I, I could go on and on about the, the pressures of anxiety. I can tell you that we f I found out that depression makes a great companion for anxiety. It's a, 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 a just that wonderful little extra addition, right? And depression uh, it just goes hand in hand. You become withdrawn. It makes things worse. I can tell you that all during this time, I was a Christian. I believed uh, in God and his son. Uh, I can tell you that I did not, by any stretch of the imagination, depend on him the way I should. Uh, but I can also tell you that without him, I, I wouldn't have made it at all. Right? And uh, years later, lots of years later, uh, we found out that uh, what I was going through, that anxiety, that depression, was actually caused. I have a, we figured out I have a genetic disorder, 
that uh, is in large part uh, because of that anxiety. And uh, the doctors figured that out, gave me some medication. It helps. Uh, I mean, do I still struggle with that stuff? Sure. Uh, do I still need to depend on Christ's promises and lean on my friends? Every day. All the time, right? But uh, God gave the doctors the knowledge to make the stuff and the wisdom to prescribe it, and it helped. I mean, I think that's a good thing. Um, but what I, uh, what I would want to get up here and say is that I don't want to normalize how I felt. I do not want to normalize that anxiety or depression because it shouldn't be normal. It should not be a daily part of our lives. But unfortunately, it is. It's like the most common thing people have to deal with. I mean, you know, look around you. Look at the people next to you. If you are not suffering from something like that, chances are there are people around you that are. Okay? Be kind to them. Be open to them. And if you're suffering from something like that, open up. Ask for help. Talk to them. Talk to people. Have people pray for you. It's not a bad thing. And uh, in that spirit, I know that that helps. As Ross mentioned, we're going to have some people in the back, myself and my wife included, uh, to uh, pray with you, to talk with you, uh, if that's something um, that you want. And like I said, I think that'll help. It, it certainly won't hurt. But uh, you can't you can't put it at God's feet until you're willing to talk about it. So, in any case, thanks for your time. Thanks for letting me talk. Thanks, Les. Um, and if you don't suffer with anxiety, if you were asked to come up here and talk, uh, that would probably give you anxiety, right? <laughs> um, and so, it's a pretty mean trick by a pastor to say, hey, you have anxiety, why don't you talk about that? Uh, thank you, Les, for your courage um, and your vulnerability with us. Um, let's pray. Father God, thank you for Les, and thank you that he has remained faithful to you and that you have carried him through these seasons. Lord, we uh, ask that you would relieve those of us who also struggle with this, that we would seek help, that we would ask for prayer even today, that we might uh, go forward and say, uh, I'm struggling and I need prayer, I need help. Um, God, we thank you that you have told us to cast our anxiety on you. And so we want to do that. We want your peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Who's got their memory verse memorized? And all the hands went up. What if I call on you to say the memory verse? Would that cause anxiety in anyone? Okay, we're not going to put it on the screen. I've asked you to memorize Philippians 4, 6, okay? So I have, <clears throat> some of you are scurrying to find it in your Bible. That's not, can't do that. Uh, so we're not going to have it on the screen. We've had it on the screen the previous three weeks, okay? So if you can, uh, say it with me or just move your lips and I'll think that you've 
memorize it, okay? No pressure. Don't worry. Okay, so here we go. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. And for Jim Hessen, who told me I should have made us memorize verse 7. Jim, what is it? The great promise. Go ahead. The peace of God. So yeah, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's six verses here that we've been looking at, uh, several admonitions, and one great, wonderful promise in verse 7. And also in verse 9, we'll see that the peace of God, which surpasses your ability to understand, will guard your hearts, will be like a fortress around your hearts and your minds. You'll have the peace of God if you pray. And then if you look further in verse 9, it says the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that cool? The peace of God will guard you, verse 7. And verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise of Scripture if we apply some of the things that we have been talking about through this series. Not to review too much, but you go back uh, verse 4. The first thing he said, his first part of his prescription was, hey, don't rehearse everything bad, okay? Don't review everything that went wrong yesterday, but rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And I think he has primarily verse 3 in in mind as, because verse 3 tells us that your names are written in the book of life. And so no matter what's happening, no matter what you walked in here with this morning, or no matter what you face on Monday morning, you can rejoice in the Lord, okay, you can be grateful. He goes on and, and uh, talks about how the Lord is at hand. The, the first command there, rejoice in the Lord, is, a, is, is a, call, a volitional call to rejoice. The Lord is at hand is kind of a theological statement that says God's with you. And not only is God with you, the Lord is at hand, but the Lord is coming again. The Lord is at hand. He's God, God's going to move. He's going to bring uh, right to what's wrong, eventually the Lord himself will come back. We talked about that. Um, do not be anxious about everything. And, and Brother Dan Earhart did a great job last week uh, in verses 6 and 7 just telling us that part of the, the battle in anxiety and worry is to take it to the Lord, to pray. And he talked about the difference between prayer and supplication. And for many of us, we live in the world and, uh, of supplication where we just shoot an arrow and say, Lord, help me. God, be with so-and-so. God, bless me. Whatever. But Dan talked about how that prayer that comes first is this daily abiding, this daily dwelling with God that can help us in the pressures and the anxieties as we walk with him in a sweetness and an intimacy of abiding with Jesus and not just give me, give me, give me. But Jesus, let me walk with you in this. Let me walk with you this day. And this morning we come to the final two verses here, verse eight and nine. And here's basically what we see. Here's the big idea. In verse eight, we see keep calm and think. And then in verse nine, we see keep calm and practice. Okay, those are the admonitions today from verses eight and nine. So first of all, keep calm and think. 
But before I go there, I just realized I, I miss, m- missed something here. At the end of the service, okay, as we partake of communion, we're going to, again, call you. If you need prayer this morning, there's going to be people in the back with candles that could just pray for you. It may not be as dramatic as what Les has dealt with, but you may just be in a place where you're like, I, I just need to get this off the chest. I need someone else to pray with me. I want to ask you to be bold and do that, to take that step. Maybe you want to go with your spouse. Maybe you just want to turn to someone who's sitting right next to you and ask for prayer during that response time, okay? Secondly, uh, one of the things that might help you this morning to really give this anxiety over to the Lord is to take out a sheet of paper. Some of you got those uh, sermon notes, pieces of papers as you walked in. But maybe you want to write down right now. Uh, or at the response time, something, some anxiety, some worry that you need to give over to the Lord. And just write it down. And then I want to invite you during that response time to just take it back in the back. There's a cross right in front of the AV booth. And maybe you just need to uh, symbolically, practically take that burden to the cross and leave it there. And ask the Lord to help you gain victory over whatever it is that you've written on the paper. We're not going to look at those pieces of paper, but maybe you just need to get up out of your seat, write that down, and take it to the cross and leave it there. Okay? And then finally, uh, third response today is is that we're going to take communion. And how does communion help us in the fight against, in the battle against anxiety? It reminds us that he cares for us. It reminds us that there's, that there's no problem that Jesus doesn't see. And not only is he a powerful Savior, but he's a loving Savior who bled and died. Why? Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says he cares for us. So as we come forward and celebrate communion, we're reminded of, of the care, the love of our good Savior in loving us so much that he bled that he cares. So verse 8, verse 8, the first uh, part there says, uh, keep calm and think. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Or you might say, ponder on these things. Or you could actually say also, uh, it's, a, it's an accounting term there. Take into account these things. Register them in your uh, chart of uh, accounts. Think about these things. The other thing I want to point out to you at the, at the beginning there of verse 8 is that he said, finally, brothers, preachers need to, you need to be uh, compassionate to us here because look over at the beginning of chapter 3, he said, finally, brothers, there, like Paul is being a preacher here, okay? Beginning of chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers, and then he gets to uh, chapter 4, verse 8, and again, he says, finally, brothers, I'm going to wrap it up here, okay? But anyway, now it's free. <laughs> finally, brothers, be careful what you think about. And he gives us eight descriptions here, great eight adjectives about what our thoughts need to be centered on. Things that are true, which you could translate that being honest. Um, Are the things occupying your mind true? Or are they just future uncertainties? Worrying about things that haven't even happened or, or worrying about that things aren't, aren't even true, but they're false or they're uh, concerns or fears that aren't reality, that aren't true. Set your mind on what is true, what is honorable. 
Honorable means noble or translated elsewhere, dignified. Whatever is just, meaning right or uh, righteous. Whatever is pure means wholeness, that this is, this is good, this is whole, this is right, lovely. This word is only used here uh, in this particular verse, the only place it occurs here in the New Testament, and it's, it's about what promotes peace. Are you thinking about what's lovely, what promotes peace, what's commendable, or what's admirable? What are you thinking about? No doubt what happens between our two ears is powerful in our lives. What we place our thoughts on. One of the most common questions we probably ask one another as we talk, as we gather in a community group or whatever is, uh, what have you been doing lately? What have you been doing? It would be odd if someone in your community group were to ask you, hey, what have you been thinking about lately? But you know what? That's a legit important question. What have you been thinking about? Because what you spend your time thinking about will largely determine who you are becoming and the emotions that you are experiencing. What you're thinking about is as important as what you are doing. There are uh, faith uh, religions out there that emphasize doing and good works. And there are other faith positions out there that, that emphasize the, the mental and the meditative. And right here in Scripture, verse 8 and 9, we are seeing that what we do as well as what we think is incredibly important for our health and our spiritual growth. What have you been thinking about? What have you been dwelling on? If you had to keep a, a thought log or a thought journal of what you think about most, where do your thoughts go? Is it to vacation? Is it to uh, a stress or a relationship or a problem at work? In your spare time, where do your thoughts roam? And do your thoughts roam to things that are true and honorable and just and pure? None of us get to pick when we were born, none of us get to pick our birth parents. None of us get to pick the, the time that we live and, and even in some sense what happens to us. But all of us get to choose what we think about. And it's been said, our, our challenge is not our challenge, but what we think about our challenge and our thoughts and what we're inputting in to the CPU of our lives is so incredibly important. Let me ask you this. When you expose yourself to uh, talk radio, where do your thoughts go after just fueling on talk radio or as a news junkie? Does that help your thoughts? Dwelling upon social media, scrolling down Facebook, what are the primary emotions after you spend 10, 15, maybe it's an hour scrolling through through Facebook, are your thoughts then true, honorable, commendable? Are they more about uh, jealousy or inadequacy? We have to be careful and guard our thoughts and what we're dwelling upon. Men, if you have struggled, if you are currently struggling with the internet, with pornography, that will take you down a path that will destroy you. Amen. Your thoughts have to come captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You have to do an uh, inventory of what's between your ears and what do you keep coming back to. And maybe, again, this morning you need to just have a time of being honest with God and being honest with someone else. Man, my thoughts are jacked up. Man, I got a lot of junk. I got a lot of old, nasty, rotten stuff in the cupboards of my mind. And it makes me worry. It makes me anxious. There's a new book that's coming out has come out recently that uh, Jay, our children's director, has been telling me a lot about. You might want to pick it up in terms of uh, raising our kids in this culture. It's called The Tech-Wise Family. The Tech-Wise Family. We have to think about what the technology, even not even just the content of the screens, but what the screens themselves, the medium itself is doing to our thoughts. You know, there, there, was, there was a time even just a few years ago when I, could, when I was in seminary and I could go to the library and I could just study for hours at a time. I got to spend the whole day reading and writing in the library. And the tech craze has me so like ADD now. I can study for about 45 minutes and then I got to get up and go to the bathroom or do something else or check the email because the tech, not even just the information, but the medium itself is affecting our thinking. And young people, what you are putting in your minds is, is building up and accumulating thought patterns and data that is going to incredibly affect who you already are and who you are becoming. The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. Not only does he say we've got to be careful, though, about our mental input, but we also got to do some things. Uh, it, our spiritual life is not just our thought life. We're not brains on a stick, but we also have to practice the things that we've learned. And so in verse 9, he goes on and says... What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Don't just think about things. Don't just get the, the Bible uh, put in your brain, but practice it. Do it. And there's four words here, four verbs that just encompass this, uh, this holistic kind of growth. You see that he's learned and received. This is like he's been a, a, a recipient of the truth that Paul has, uh, the church has been a recipient of, of Paul's truth and what he's taught them. And they haven't just heard it, but they've received it. But they've also heard it. And they haven't just heard it, but they've seen it in his life. And he's saying, practice what you've been taught. And so I want to ask this question this morning. This is week number four of anxiety and, and talk about worry. What are you putting into practice after hearing this for four weeks that might change your anxiometer? Have you just been listening, kind of been taking it in, scratching your head? Oh, that's a, that's a big problem. Yeah, I worry about that. But what have you done differently in practice or in mental habits? This reminds me of James' words, James chapter 1. Uh, verse 22, he says, let us not deceive ourselves and be hearers only, but doers. Don't just come and, and hear about it at church. Yeah, you shouldn't worry. Yeah, I shouldn't worry. But what steps, what practice have you put into place? Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. One of the practices that I've put into place um, for several weeks now is that every day in my journal, I'm trying to write, write down practice 
chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. I'm trying to write down two things, two specific things that I can rejoice in the Lord about, that I can be grateful about. What are you applying? Jesus told his disciples, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't put into practice the things that you've heard from me. There's things that we have to think rightly. There's truth that we have to know, but we also have to practice and change our daily habits we've got mental patterns, thought patterns, and we've also got behavioral patterns. And it could be that the behavioral patterns that you have right as you get up in the morning or what you eat or what you're thinking about on the way to work, if you change those behavioral patterns, you might see a change in your anxiety, in your worry, both mental thought patterns as well as behavioral habitual patterns. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I think as I thought this week, I thought, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say as a part of this series that uh, the book of Philippians is not about worry. Did you know that? I mean, we've been spending four weeks on worry, but do you know that the book of Philippians is not about anxiety? This is not a self-help manual or a a mental manual. Uh, lesson the book of Philippians why is he writing to this church of Philippi he's saying join me in what God is doing go back Philippians chapter 1 verse 5 excuse me look at verse 5 of chapter 1 he's he's thanking them in this uh, letter to the Philippians it's a thank you letter in verse 5 he's saying I thank my God for you because of your partnership in the gospel Philippians is a thank you letter for these people that are on mission with Paul. And what Philippians is is supposed to tell us is that, folks, we've got things to do. We've got disciples to make. We've got people to reach. This isn't just a handbook on psychology or anxiety. He's saying, join me on the mission. You think you've got things to worry about? How worried are you about the mission of God? You're infatuated with yourself and your problems. When's the last time you thought about your neighbors? When you, when's the last time you thought about the anxiety that your coworkers are carrying or who's losing a loved one and how you can reach out and be Christ's body to them? We have a mission. And he calls to the, thank you. And he calls to the Philippians and says, you're partnering with me. He wants us to partner as well. If you look over um, also chapter 1, verse 21, he writes this. He says, I want you to be full of courage. Or, yes, with full courage. Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is he saying? He's saying, my life is about honoring Christ. Whether I live or whether I die, I want my life to honor Christ. And that's what he's saying to this church. That's what he's saying to us. Is your life honoring Christ? It's not just about your, self, uh, your self-health or getting self-help from the scriptures, but are you involved in what God is doing in the world? Look at verse 27 through 29 in chapter 1. He, again, he's, he's giving us his purpose 
for writing this letter, verse 27 of chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. His primary concern is that they're faithful to the gospel, that they're living lives worthy of the gospel. That they're on this mission of displaying Christ to the world. Some of us are very worried about things that are going on in our life. And they're, they're, they're relevant things. They're things about how our kids are doing and their financial worries and their, their stresses at work. But how many of us are really concerned, worried in a healthy way about God? About his mission in the world. See, Paul is saying there's, there's something to be excited about. There's something to be concerned about. There's something to be prayerful about. And it's not just you. It's about sharing the gospel and getting the word out in the world. So we have a war, we have a war on worry because we are in a war. And Jesus hasn't just put us on this earth to live healthy lives. He's put us on this earth to make an impact. And worry is an obstacle, not just for our self-health, but for our personal ministry. That we can't be focused on reaching others if we're all tied up in knots about ourselves. So when he says, <clears throat> excuse me, when he says practice these things, When he says practice these things, he's saying, live a life that I'm living. Imitate me in the life that I've been living. Look over verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Practice what you've been learning. Do something about what you've heard. Live in a way worthy of the gospel because it's not just about you and your worry. It's about living a life imitating Paul who is imitating Christ. And it's having, a, and having an impact in a world that's broken. Well, okay. <clears throat> Ross, I know I shouldn't worry. No, I shouldn't be torn up with Anxiety, okay, that's great. I'll just do that. I'll just quit worrying. Right, it's that easy. No, it's not. What's the motivation for this battle, for this war on worry? The motivation is the cross of Christ, of a God who looked down and get this thought of us, thought of us, and then in practice came and died. And as, as I said before, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Amen. The reason you have a, a roadmap to anxiety-free life is you, because you have a God who is not only powerful in the heavens, but who cares for you by coming and shedding his blood for you. The motivation against worry and, and anxiety is the cross where Jesus said, there is nothing that gets past me. There is nothing going to hold me back from loving you. I will love you with my blood. 
And it's as we put our eyes on the cross that we are motivated to throw off the worry and anxiety, knowing that he cares for me. And we're reminded of that in communion. I want you to bow your heads with me. And just, excuse me, in a moment of reflection, just want you to take a moment again, as we did earlier in the service, and just be honest with God. What's on your heart? What worry is weighing you down? And just speak that to the Lord right now. Maybe what you need to do is take that piece of paper or find a piece of paper around you and a pen, and you need to write down that worry, and in just a few minutes as you celebrate communion, take that worry back to the cross and just leave it at the foot of the cross. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to just have the boldness and courage this morning to ask for prayer for a big thing, for a small thing, but just to go and be vulnerable and say, I need some prayer. Maybe if it's not even related to worry. I encourage you to ask for prayer. I want to invite our communion servers to come forward. And as we come forward and are reminded of the care that Jesus had for us in giving his life, hear the words of Jesus to his followers that night. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this, of the fruit of this vine until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Would you bow and pray with me? Father God, sovereign over all, creator of this world, designer of our soul, lover of our soul, we worry too much. We don't trust you, God, as our good Father. Pray that as we come to you this morning in prayer and communion, as we take our anxieties to the cross, that you would relieve us of anxiety and worry that is not ours to carry. We thank you, God, that you have told us to throw those burdens, to throw that anxiety on you because you care for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating that so vividly, so powerfully through the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen invite you to come forward, celebrate, and respond.